Welcome to Control-Alt-Revolt, the podcast, episode six. And today, myself, Nick Cole, and my sidekick, Single White Medusa, are going to talk about how to write a book. Because this is something that we do together a lot, because I write the books, and Nicole's my wingman, Single White Medusa is my wingwoman, <laughs> and uh, she keeps me honest and cleans it up and collects the money. I'm happy to have a tiny little part in your books that I love so much, but you do the majority of the work. Thank you for giving me the credit. You, are, really the, nice. you, are, the, you are the queen of this fiefdom, <laughs> as it is. That sounds good. So... Uh, a lot of people ask me this question a lot, you know, how do you write a book or, you know, I've always had a book inside of me. I was talking with someone on the other night and they said they were living vicariously through me and that they've always imagined themselves being a writer. And so rather than answering this question all the time, I thought what I would do today is break down the steps that will take you from uh, conceiving the book to producing the book to, um, to writing the book, then to producing the book, and then ultimately to advertising the book. And like, there's a couple of little hard steps, but we're going to get to those right off the bat. But you'll find this is a very actually easy thing to do um, if you apply a few critical skills to it. And one of the biggest skills that you're going to need is patience. And the other skill that you're going to need is the ability to restrain yourself when you should. And we'll get to that later. But why don't you walk us through the steps, Single White Medusa, of how to publish a book, and that'll be the outline for the podcast, and then I will go through and break it down. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> so you kind of laid these out to me ahead of time, and they are, number one, be interesting. Number two, know, before you start writing, know the beginning and the end. And the next one is that you write your first entire draft without looking back and the next one after that might be a subcategory is you talk about the Vonnegut rule and the Hemingway rule I do um, then you talk about editing with the Gaiman rule and then you talked about editing out loud and the next one after that was the, the steps to actually publish it once you've written your masterpiece and finally you talk you will talk about marketing and yeah. how to do that. And marketing. if you're hearing her talk about this in the past tense, um, the reason there hasn't been two podcasts this week is we've recorded this podcast twice now <laughs> and the software has failed us at critical moments. So we're hoping we have high hopes this time we're back in our car yeah. and we've been fine every time in our car. The last two that we had trouble with, we were at home. I don't, I don't know why that will make a difference, but yeah. we feel like third time's a charm. Third time's a charm. So the first category or the first topic or the first part of writing a book is going to be the actually the hardest part that you are going to encounter. And that's being interesting. To write a book, you have to be interesting. You have to be interesting on every page. You have to compel the reader to want to move forward. You have to do interesting things and you have to write in an interesting manner. And the reason for that is you know, you are not here to write woke fiction. You are not here to write an agenda. You are not here to marry Sue your way through your own private Jedi adventure. You are here to entertain people who are working hard every day and are coming to you and your book for a bit of distraction. And so that's why we write 
you know, interestingly, and we write interesting books, I get letters all the time from people who actually have cancer or they're with somebody who has cancer and their dad or something like that. And they said, you know, the last week of his life, we spent reading your book. And that's not an uncommon letter for me to get. And so I'm always mindful when I'm writing that it is my job to distract people from the hard things of life when they decide to choose to sit down with a book and be distracted and be entertained. And I always tell this anecdote about Cervantes, who was the father of the modern novel. He wrote Don Quixote, and he was also a Spanish soldier. And one uh, day he was captured by the Dutch, and they decided to put him to death. And so they were going to put him to death at dawn the next day. And so for the entire night beforehand, he sat around a campfire and he told the Dutch storytellers every story he knew. And that's what he wanted to do, or the Dutch soldiers, every story that he wanted to uh, to tell them and every story that he knew. And he told it as though his life depended on it. And he also told it because he was a born storyteller and he was good at it. And when dawn came, the Dutch sergeant who was going to put him to death decided that it would be a crime to put such a good storyteller to death and decided to let him go. And so I am always reminded, and I hope you're reminded too, that you have to tell this story as though your life depended on it. You've got to be interesting on every page. You've got to advance the plot on every page. You're not here to figure it out as you go along or work out your personal stuff. Now, sometimes you do, but the main thing that you're doing first is you're entertaining people. Um, you're not trying to right new wrongs or, you know, do whatever. So that's the first first uh, part. What is the next step, Nicole? Uh, single white Medusa. <laughs> um, that you you kind of decide ahead of time the beginning and the end before you begin writing. Yeah. You know the beginning and the end of the plot. And that's uh, the beginning and the end of the book. And that's how I write a book. And if uh, if another method works for you, feel free to do it. But today we're talking about how I write books and how you might write books too. And so it's important to know the beginning. And you've probably thought of the beginning. Most people have great beginnings and they're not so great on the ending. But all you really need to know is the beginning of a book and the ending of a book. And the in-between parts are the roller coaster that you embark on in tacking those two points together with the line of the story. And that is a book. It's the beginning and the end. So don't ever start a book before you know the end. Make sure you know the end. And then every page that you write, every chapter that you produce, every word that you're you know, considering goes towards advancing yourself to get that to, to get to that point where you type the end and you've been interesting along the way. So do you see now the novel's kind of shaping up? You're being interesting. You're knowing that you have to get from the beginning to the end. These might seem to some people like, well, duh, but you'd be surprised how many people get this part wrong. But maybe this will give you the freedom to actually write that book. Instead of, when I talk about being interesting, instead of writing the important novel, the lavender and croquet novel, the great American novel, maybe just write something that you find interesting, the kind of book that you would sit down tonight with a martini or whatever kind of drink you drink, and you would sit down in your favorite chair and you would read this book and you would have a good time reading it and it would give you joy and pleasure. And maybe that's just some junk, some junk food. Maybe you just want to write junk food. But if you're being interesting because you, you know, if you love something and you're interested in what you're writing, then most likely you are being interesting and you have a high degree of likelihood to actually getting to the end of this book and typing the end. If you know where the book begins and you know where it ends, 
then you've got a roadmap to drive between those two points in the novel and have a fun time doing it. I That's what I do. I'm reading the novel as I write it. Some people like to go ahead and plot everything out, and that may work for you. I have a tendency that that kind of vibe kills me, jams my chi. The characters might want to do other stuff. As you create these characters, they take on lives of their own, and they have different things they want to do. Sometimes you've got to kill a character, and that doesn't occur to you until the moment that you do it. And it's what the story is calling for because you're immersed in that story and living in that story. So don't feel like you've got to be tied to an outline. Be open to the serendipitous coincidences that this novel is producing and that you're on this journey of and then be willing to go there in an interesting manner, knowing always that you're heading towards that destination on the horizon, that oasis, that gas station, that Kentucky Fried Chicken with the big bucket of wings, crispy, extra original style, whatever, that says the end. Now, that's how we're going to start. Those are the first two steps. What is the third step, single white Medusa? Um, you write your entire first draft without looking back, going over your work, but you just write straight through. Right. I'm a big proponent of that. Basically, what we're going to do is we're going to write six days a week, and we're going to write anywhere between 250 words to 5,000 words, whatever you're comfortable with. But every day we're going to write so that we're staying in that story. And what we're not going to do is we're not going to look back at what we wrote the day and the week before, because I'm just going to spoil it for you right now. It's junk. It's not very good. You didn't do a good job. And I know that because that's how I write. My stuff is a mess. Um, it, and if I go back and I look at it, I can begin to criticize myself and I can stall the process of moving forward by trying to go back and fix, by feeling judgmental about what I'm doing, feeling vulnerable. Instead, I just keep moving forward. I just keep telling that, 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 that story because what we're doing in the first draft is think of it like building a house. We're just getting the framework up. In the subsequent drafts, we're going to go and we're going to fix the grammar. That's not a big deal. We're going to go and make it sound better by smoothing out the rough parts, by using turns of phrase, by repeating the dialogue and getting it so it actually sounds like a living person spoke it instead of the robot inside your head. So in the first draft, let's just tell the story. Let's get in the big details, all that kind of stuff. And you're going to miss details and you're going you're gonna to need details from the past. Don't get concerned with that. Put in placeholder stuff. Put a note to yourself, go back, make sure I've got this detail right. But whatever you do, keep going forward because when you get to the end of the novel and when you type the end, that is a very transformative moment in a writer's career the first time they do that because you have now shown yourself that you can complete a manuscript. Yep, it's a rough manuscript. It's not very good and it's going to need a lot of work. But you did it. You wrote a book. You technically at that moment wrote a book and you will feel great about that. And if you can do that, then I'm telling you right now, you can do anything. So let's just move through the novel. Let's not go back to the past. Let's not get stuck in our inadequacies. And let's just keep moving forward and pounding out word count and advancing towards that oasis so that one day we can go the end. And I'm telling you, trust me, big transformative moment. What's next? Um, you can maybe talk to us about the... Hemingway rule and the Vonnegut rule that you use while you're writing. Okay, these are subtopics of the last point. All right, the first thing we're going to use here in advancing that story to get to the end 
and never minding our pros or our mistakes or anything like that, but just staying in that story is called the Hemingway rule. That's my rule, but I call it the Hemingway rule because every day when Hemingway stopped writing, he left a little bit of what he was thinking, of what he had in him to tell the story, and he saved that for the next morning. And he would think about that through dinner and through the night while he slept and when he got up in the morning and walked to the little place that he wrote so that he was prepared when it was time to start writing like a workman. He had his tools ready and he was ready to work. And that's something I learned from a first sergeant in the Army. One of the best things that you can do showing up at any job is have the right tools, be in the right uniform, and be ready to work. And you should treat your writing just like that. You know, be ready when you sit down to maximize that time and to have fun because it is a lot of fun, but let's treat it like a little bit of work. Let's treat it like it's something important. And so what you want to do is you want to show up with something to work with. So when you're writing that day, stop a little early. Leave what you, where you were going to go. Leave that for yourself nurse that through the night, think about it, kind of refine it, and then be ready to jump into it the next morning. That's the Hemingway rule. Leave a little something for yourself. The next rule is the Vonnegut rule. Vonnegut had like 10 or 11 rules for writing, but this is the best one. This one says that you have to do everything awful that you possibly can to your main characters. And when you've run out of awful stuff to do, that's the book. The thing that you don't want to do is you don't want to have a Mary Sue character. What's a Mary Sue? Single White Medusa asked me. She drinks the Starbucks coffee we're enjoying this afternoon. Mm -hmm. I know that she's going to ask me that question because in two previous time zones, time time continuums, in which we actually recorded this podcast, she <laughs> asked so. me that. So All now that. I'm ready. We're having our own personal little Groundhog Day. <laughs> this is how much... We are devoted to getting this information to you guys. Get it out. <laughs> this podcast, this one is my white whale. This is my dicky mo. Um, so only people who watch Tom and Jerry would get that. So uh, uh, you, or have read Moby Dick. Well, you have to have watched the Tom and Jerry episode where they. I haven't, but that was still really funny. They to me. parodied Moby Dick and they called it Dicky Mo. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> So in the so um, what's a Mary Sue character? Well, you know, Ray from Star Wars. You're the best pilot. You're the best navigator. You're the best Jedi. You're the best gunslinger. You're the best at everything. And that's not interesting for anybody. And all your other characters have nothing to do. And they loathe that character. And they become straw characters. And your writing's really boring because you're just really having a fantasy about yourself. A Mary Sue character is not a good character. The kind of character that you want has obstacles. They have personal obstacles. They have things that they don't do right. They have things that they're well aware of. They have things that the other people are aware of. Just like us in life, we are all flawed people. Please, please make your characters flawed people. You will actually get, that is your vein of gold. You will be able to mine those quirks and those inconsistencies and those, those, those faults and failures of that character to make a living, breathing character that people adore and love because it's real. It's not a Mary Sue. No one on this planet is a Mary Sue. Everybody else is a real character. Remember like the Monk Detective show? Great detective, crippling OCD. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of character, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be that dramatic, you know, because Nicole's like Monk. But, <laughs> but, and she's still hot. But, but, you know, that's, that's kind of where you're heading with that. And those characters resonate with your audience 
so much better. So, so don't have a Mary Sue. And so going back to the Vonnegut rule, that's a great way not to have a, a Mary Sue character because mm -hmm. all you're doing is just throwing obstacle after obstacle at this character and ruining their lives and making their life harder. And you know what your character is doing? They're overcoming everything because of the ingenuity that you're imply, uh, applying to this novel and getting them through these tougher and tougher situations. And you've got to get really diabolical and really think up some very Machiavellian travails for them to get involved in and to barely get out of by the skin of their teeth. And people are going to love that character very much like 24, like Jack Bauer, like the the season's over when there's just you just can't think of another thing to ruin Jack's day with. And that's kind of how you want to think of the Vonnegut rule. All right. What's the next point? Um, you were going to talk about editing with the Gaiman rule. Perfect. OK, so we did it. You were interesting. You knew the beginning and the end. You applied the Hemingway rule. You applied the Vonnegut rule. You didn't have a Mary Sue. And you actually managed to write forward and not get lost in some sort of mind trap of the past or your terrible prose or what you got wrong in the plot. You're going to fix all that. And here we are. We have typed the end. And what do we do now? Well, now we go to the second draft. Now we start editing. You're allowed a little celebration. You're a, you're a real writer now. You made it, you typed the end, you have written a book. You could, if you wanted to, walk away from this forever and just leave that book there. But why miss out on the fun part? And editing is really fun. And the best way to talk about editing is to use something that the famous author Neil Gaiman said. And I call it the Gaiman rule or the Gaiman rule or however you want to pronounce Neil Gaiman's name. Um, and he said basically this, editing is when you rewrite the novel Again, when you write the novel again, acting as though you knew exactly what was going to happen the entire time. And that's what we're doing in editing. That's the most critical thing. Yes, we're trying to catch our mistakes. Yes, we're trying to catch grammar. That's actually not that important. Your editor is going to clean that up. And you're never, ever going to catch everything because you never do. Because even in GE with Jason and I and hiring and paying editors and having teams, you're still going to find flaws. It's just impossible. There's nothing perfect. So you want to get it as good as you can. And you don't want the reader to get lost in bad grammar and mistakes. But believe me, that's not your biggest problem. That's going to be cleaned up by you and other people over time. And it's, it's, going, to, um, it's going to have those things. But what you're really doing now is you're trying to, with the game and rule, make the novel coherent. And if you want a next level up, if you want a plus one, bringing in foreshadowing, bringing in teasing, you know, um, making adjustments to the plot in the second draft, because you now know what's going to happen. You're like, I mean, imagine if you could wake up today and you could know which stocks are going to hit, you know, that's what you, the writer have now. You, you get to now write the novel brilliantly because you know what's going to happen. And that really does come out in that second draft. That's what you're really doing in that second draft is you're making the novel coherent and you're now like putting in the turns of phrase, you're using better descriptors, you're enhancing the conversations and you're, you're, you're giving this overall coherence to the novel through the knowledge that you know. And so now you know where the beats need to go. And you know, like, oh, maybe that part where I was off on a tangent, that really doesn't serve the novel because I know what the end of the novel is. Let's get rid of that. So that's what you're going to do there. Um, that's the game and rule. And that's editing. And I think now we're going to talk about the next part. Mm, you had 
one more thing about editing that you like to edit out Third loud. try through and I missed it again. Okay, what was this one? <laughs> that you like to edit out loud. No, that's the next part. Oh, okay. The next part is editing out loud. So now we're into the third draft and here's the other really difficult part besides being interesting. But you mastered that already because you got to this part. The editing out loud part is where you're either going to need to find a closet or you're just going to need to, you know, put on your pants and sit out in the backyard and 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 act this novel out and perform it. And as you're editing, you're reading it out loud and you're reading it in the characters' voices and you're reading it like an audiobook narrator. What is this going to do for you? Well, you're going to find that the thing a lot of the things you've written will sound like they've been written by a robot because it was all in your head. And when you read it out loud, you're going to go, well, that's not how people speak. And this sounds better. And so if you begin to read it out loud, if the audio narrator does it and it ends up being an audio book, well, you've done a lot of the work to make it a much better listen. And the reader will have a better time getting inside the main character's head and your head if, if, if it feels like it's been read out loud. When I first read the old man, wrote The Old Man in the Wasteland, which was my first novel, I wrote that and then read it out loud, editing it over 20 times because I didn't have enough money for an editor. And so people come back to me to this day and they still talk about how that novel invited them in you know, and how accessible that novel was and how readable that novel is. And I think a big reason for that, thanks to God, is that I read it out loud so many times. If I could, if I had the time, I would do that with every novel. But for you, the bar that we're going to set is you are going to perform this novel about four to six times through reading it out loud. And after that, you're probably going to go blind to the faults and everything like that. But what reading it out loud is going to do is it's going to get rid of your your words where you've said it is and would not, and it's going to put in contractions because that's how people actually talk and forget the, you know, the ivory tower people who tell you not to do that. You are trying to make this an accessible novel, not a great novel. You are trying to make this a fun novel, not a classic novel. So, you know, that's what we're doing here. We're being fun. We're being entertaining and we're getting the hay down where the horses can read it. So that's what we're going to do by reading it out loud. And I'm telling you, it's a little, you know, it'll feel uncomfortable at first, but you do it through a few times and you're going to get into it. Use some voices that you can imitate. Those voices will help you to see the character better and then begin to advocate for the character. And I'm telling you, like the rewrites when you are editing out loud, they make your novel pop. That's when like that's when you're going to get arrogant, which is going to be a hard part for the next step coming up. But you're going to you're going to begin to think you have a hit here. And that's going to that's such a contrast from where you were. If you read back and you're like, I can't write. This is horrible. This sucks. You start reading that out loud and the novel starts coming together. You're going to think you are hotter than a salamander's pitchfork. What's the next one? Um, next one, we're going to move on to. Well, once you have your completed book, we were going to talk about the steps of publishing. But I don't know if this is when you want to talk about getting a cover and getting an yeah. editor. Yeah, this is when we want to talk about that. Okay. okay, so we're starting to edit. We're going through the four to six times. It's time to start bringing in some other folks. One of the first things you want to do is you want to start working on a cover because a cover takes a little while to get. And yes, you can create your own cover on Amazon KDP. Don't do that. And yes, you can go get a $50 photo bash cover from somebody on Twitter. Don't do that. But 
here's the reason. There's a great guy and he teaches everybody about how to publish books. And you should right now stop listening to me and go to Amazon and get Chris Fox's six-figure author series and read it or listen to it because he made audiobooks out of it. And it's very short, but it will give you a master class in how to get started and do everything that I'm talking about. I'm giving you the sketch and you can publish a book with everything I'm talking about and you can produce it and then you can market it. You would be just fine. But if you want a little bit of a deeper dive, you want to understand the science behind the algorithm and things like that. Chris Fox is brilliant. He has a YouTube channel. He's a great guy, wonderful informer. I highly recommend him. But one of the things that Chris Fox said, drink of Starbucks coffee now, is that cover is 90% of buy decision. And so that cover has to be phenomenal. That cover is the first thing that the person on Amazon looks at. They don't read the description and they don't, you know, read the book and they don't know the keywords and they don't know who you are. But if they look at that cover and that cover promises them a good time in the genre that they're interested in, that's 90% of the reason that they're going to decide to move to the next step which is to read the description, which I will tell you is it called an elevator pitch in my world. And I'm very good at writing them. So maybe we'll do another podcast later talking about them. But a rough sketch right now, all an elevator pitch is what this novel is about, first sentence. Second and third sentence, what's going to happen in this novel without too much neat detail. Don't put in like the Angarian Death Alliance and things like that. Just say an alien force. Keep it very vague. Don't, you know, get people into the weeds. And then the fourth book is where we move from the known to the unknown, which you are the unknown. But the known is Lord of the Rings meets Black Hawk Down. These are two known things. And that's why you're going to enjoy Forgotten Ruin, Unknown Thing. And that's how you move people to a buy decision. 90% cover get a beautiful cover. You can look at on, on Amazon and look at uh, Strange Company, which is a cover for a book I just did that everybody look, loves. And they keep looking at that cover and they keep coming back to me and they're like, I saw that cover and I had to have this book. And that's like, okay, great. It's a little more of an expensive cover, but that'll give you a good idea of the difference between some top-notch covers and some poorer covers. And so you've, you've put all this time and effort into it being interesting, writing forward, uh, knowing where you're going, spe- speaking out loud in the garden like a crazy person. So invest a little money, save a little money, and get a good cover. I don't know. What's a good cover price? I'm going to say anywhere between $700 to $1,500 is a, is a good cover, but it's really more about the artist. And so you're going to have to work hard to find a good artist that will work with you and deliver what you want and not try to jam you. And if that cover is not good, eat the loss and get another one because this is the one shot you get. So get a good cover. It is 90% of buy. Work on your your description. You can read stuff about elevator pitches. I will do a podcast in a week or two, and then we'll link it at the bottom of this so you can go right there. Then we'll work on that elevator pitch, get that elevator pitch just so tight and attractive and perfect that people have to make this decision. And then all the love, effort, and time that you've put into this book are going to pay off when that person does one thing. They click buy now. And then they read it and they have a great time. What is the next thing I need to talk about in editing? Well, did you talk about... Oh, the editor. Yeah. We need to talk about the editor. You're going to have to get an editor. So I didn't have money the first time out. Um, So I edited it myself and there were still mistakes in it. 
I highly, highly, highly recommend getting an editor. The editor will cost some money and they're going to rip your stuff to shreds. And that's a good thing. Here's my rule of thumb. I take 98% of the changes that the editor makes. Sometimes when they send me the manuscript, I just hit accept all and then I go through the comments and address the comments they've asked me to fix. <laughs> asked me to fix. Um, there's an innate tendency, because remember I was talking about that egos coming in now. You're not that writer who's looking back and hating their work. You've spent so much time with this novel, reading it out loud and everything like that. You really do think everything is spun gold. You love every phrase now. You can't believe he wants to get rid of this character. You can't believe he doesn't think this or she doesn't think this joke is funny, you know, or whatever it is. I'm going to really encourage you get rid of that ego, take 98% of their cuts and leave yourself two challenges, 2% challenges. And, and, and that's the stuff that the, you know, you can die on the hill for. And they'll let you, they'll let you, here's the thing. That editor is going to let you do whatever you want because it's your name on it and they already got paid. So be willing to take their wisdom. I can recommend some good editors. There are good editors out there. David Gatewood is my editor. Lauren Moore is my other editor. Ellen Campbell I've worked with. All of these are great people who are honest and genuine and sincere and, and sincere, not insincere. And, and they're going to really honestly try to actually make your novel better. I, I've, I've met of those three editors, and I think there's a lot like them. It's They have a really weird quality. They really do want, they're readers. They really do want you to do well. So don't fight them. Don't wear them out. Don't, don't think that you know better because you don't. Take 98% of the changes and, and give yourself 2%. And you'll be a lot better off and you'll protect yourself. Exactly. What's next? Um... Now, I think we did all the publishing steps as far as I know. I mean, is there anything to talk about exactly like how to put it up on Amazon or is that pretty self-explanatory? I think we should talk a little bit about that because we're ready to go now. We've got the cover. We've had it edited. We have read it through several times. Maybe we've given it to uh, a couple of there are always a couple of people uh, hanging around the Internet who do like to just read books and help people and things like that. So so that might be a nice thing. So now you're going to go over to KDP and that's on the Amazon website, Amazon KDP, and you're going to enter all the per pertinent information. Um, you're going to download the manuscript and, and put oh, it in there. I just remembered also um, you need to hire a formatter. Right. Before this. Yeah, I was going to talk okay. about that. But good. Good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I know I'm going to forget something critical third time around. <laughs> so uh, as, as Single White Medusa just brought up, you need a formatter. A formatter is going to give you the file type to put this manuscript into the various uh, platform publishing systems like Kobo or Google Books or Apple or Amazon where people can buy it. I highly encourage you not to use the in-house software and to actually hire a formatter who will do a good job. I use Kevin Summers. He is an artisanal bookmaker and formatter, ebook formatter, great guy, and and very conscientious. And your book will look beautiful. Expect to pay like between $100 and $200 for this, more on the low hundred side. Um, this is going to give you all the files that you need to go to all these services, but mainly we're concerned with Amazon. So you're going to upload that file. takes about two minutes. You're going to put in all the keywords. We'll have a discussion on keywords later, but keywords are just the words that, that really are about this book. And, and I think that's a topic that's been 
that you'll get some good info on the internet about, and you should read those things and research those things. Not a big step. If you just, if you wrote a space Marine vampire novel, then just put in space Marine vampire war military, you know, whatever, all the things that are in the book. And, and then that will lead the algorithm to begin selling the book. The truth is, is the algorithm doesn't really, in my opinion, use keywords much because authors used to do a lot of shenanigans with the keywords and now it doesn't trust keywords. So you're going to fill out the payment information, the rights information. It's menu driven. It'll be really easy. And now your book is up and now you are about to make the biggest mistake of your life. Have coffee now. (laughs) You hit publish and you wait for it to populate on Amazon and you're just on pins and needles and it comes up and you decide to do a Facebook post and you tell everybody in your entire life that you just wrote a book and you're somebody. Except everybody in your Facebook feed is your mom, all the people you knew in high school that you're spying on to see where their life is, the people at that job you had 15 years ago when Facebook first started. Uh, the people that you don't like so much now, the people who were on your soccer team, you know, that you're doing a couple of weeks ago when you're trying to get fit, you know, like, you know, all these people, but what you don't know is what books they read. And they all read a bunch of different books. In fact, mom reads gardening books. And so what mom decides to do, because she loves you and is so proud of you, and it has nothing to do with the fact that you wrote a book. She's just proud of you because that's how moms are. She goes and buys your book. Okay, so here's what happens. The algorithm The A11 Amazon algorithm is a very complex, beautiful, and wonderful selling machine. And it's also an idiot. It's simple-minded. Think of those minions. And so what the algorithm does is it goes, okay, this book is just uploaded and I'm not sure what it is. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at the people who purchase it and I'm going to look at their sales history and that's going to tell me what this book is because that's the ultimate verification, not lying authors playing with their keywords and not, not uh, uh, you know, all these shenanigans. The algorithm is so smart. It lets humans tell it exactly what it is because only a human who was going to buy a Space Marine vampire book would look at a Space Marine cover and then read a Space Marine Vampire description and then decide to buy a Space Marine Vampire book. Except mom bought the book and mom likes cooking. And so the algorithm goes, huh, I wonder if this is a cooking book. I shall test. So it looks at who else buys it. Hopefully no one else buys it with cooking books. Or it could even release it to a small segment of its email list and say, hey, this is a new cookbook you might like, Space Marine Vampire from Altair 3. And no one's going to buy it because they're there for cooking books. And it's going to go, huh, that's kind of weird. Maybe someone's hacking my account who likes Space Marine Vampires. Why would it recommend this? And so what happens is your book stalls in the algorithm. The algorithm is confused. 30 days expire and your book dies on the vine. The worst thing that you can ever do is go on social media when you initially put up a book, and I'm talking for about two weeks, and say anything about it to anyone in your general feed. And now you're asking, well, what do I do? Well, here's what you do. Um, You need to find genre readers, genre readers who read Space Marine vampire fiction, which is, you know, it could be anything, but we're using Space Marine vampires today because it's funny. So have coffee now. So what you do is maybe you're in some space marine vampire groups, if such a thing exists, maybe in real life, 
maybe on Facebook, maybe on Reddit, maybe on Discord. I don't know. There are groups for people that like your stuff, specifically books. That would be a great place to start in any genre. You can post in that. You can say, hey, everybody, I just wrote Space Marines of Altair, Space Marine Vampires of Altair, Altair 3. And because we all like Space Marine Vampires in this group, I thought you guys might enjoy it. And some of those people, there is a high likelihood that they have purchased Space Marine Vampire books on Amazon. And so if they go to Amazon and if they buy that book and if you give them the link to do these things, the algorithm's going to go, oh, my gosh, this is a Space Marine Vampire book. And then it's going to do something really wonderful. Amazon has the biggest lists email lists in the world. It knows everything about you. It knows what kind of mayonnaise you're going to buy, whether it's Hellman's or Best Food and Miracle Whip. And no, we're not going to have an argument about Miracle Whip today. It really is, you know, mayonnaise. Don't judge me. So it begins to understand that this is a Space Marine vampire book. And it begins to sell that because you're feeding it genre readers. You're doing this by going to those groups. You're doing this by going to other writers who are in that genre and approaching them and saying, I am new. I have read your books. I like you. Would you be willing to share my book, which will come available in a couple of weeks, couple of months, and tell your genre readers who buy Space Marine Vampire books about my Space Marine Vampire books? That is a super win right there if you can get that. And you know what? I've found a lot of writers are cool about doing that. And there are some that are not, and that that's just their life less lived. But generally, I even still try to help people if it's in my genre. A lot of people come to me and say, hey, I just wrote this thing. I'm like, that's not my genre. It'll actually hurt you if I help you. So the best thing that you can do is find a really high profile writer, some medium writers, and even some writers with small lists and say, I'll trade you an email list, or could you get me a shout out or whatever? Just help me out. And you'll find that some people will help you. And you need about 200 people starting out. Your first few sales, your first 200 sales on Amazon really need to be Space Marine Vampire readers. And you've got to go out of your way to find those people. And there are lots of techniques to do that all over the internet. But I've just given you two. And if you can do that, you're going to give your book a really good shot at getting into the genre and catching some wind and perhaps even going viral. And that's really the most basic thing that you can do. There are all kinds of people out there doing shystery stuff, telling you how they can sell your book or whatever. Let's just not, you know, or there's there's even Amazon ads. And that's really like E-Trade 19.99. You are not going to credit card your way onto the bestseller list. Ads are confusing. You got to know a lot about them and you got to watch them all the time when you really should be writing. But since we're just writing our first book and we're just doing it on our own, this is a great way to do it. This is a great plan for you. Just find those genre readers as you work on your book, as you produce your book, as you get your book ready for launch. Just keep finding those people. Start your own mail list. You can use MailChimp or any of the other mail survivors, mail, mail, mail survivors, mail survivors, mail server type things and 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 begin to cultivate the Space Marine Vampire community and become a part of that that you are. And you will attract those readers. And so for about two weeks, all we're going to do on Amazon is funnel those people in there. And you're not going to say anything to mom. And you're not going to say anything to anybody on social media. After two weeks, once the book's in the algorithm, once it's beginning to climb up there and everything like that, then you can tell everybody, hey, look at me. I'm a big cheese. I wrote a book. Let me buy you a pack of gum and show you how to chew it. <laughs> 
So about two weeks, and that's when you can have everybody else. And that, and buy it. yeah, and that's that's really where you at without maligning anybody or you know saying whatever. That is ultimately the structure for producing a book from conceiving it to executing it to then what do you do with it and then how do you get it out there? And I'm telling you, that is that is it. You can do that if that's what you want to do. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a good hobby. I've always thought a lot of people have a bucket list book inside of them or stories. It's a fun experience. You know, maybe this summer is the summer you try it and you write that book. I don't know if you, it'll help you, but honestly, that is how I produce books every day. I do all of those steps and, and that, that is what has worked for me. Um, there are refinements as you grow. There are things that will come next it's easy to get lost in those steps and to get excited about those steps and everything like that. But initially let's just keep it simple and let's just work from these things. And these steps will all get you there. And also you will come up with your own techniques that get you there too. And it's like going to the gym. Your muscles are going to get better. The more you do it, when you first start writing a book, it's very hard, but I do think it feels good and I do think you'll you'll feel good about it and get some rewards from it. But I just encourage you, don't go back and judge yourself. That's not going to help you. Just have fun writing the book you've always wanted to read. And if it's junk food, that's cool. I like junk food. You like junk food. Junk food is fun. And junk food reading is some of the best. Like just, you know, important novels and great novels and big bestsellers. Not so much, but man, give me a good noir detection, detective fiction novel or a good fantasy novel or a good space marine novel, and I'm having a great time. And I'm not trying to be the next Hemingway, and neither should you, but just be a writer telling a story like your life depended on it and knowing that someone out there had a hard day today. And then they came home and they read your book and they felt better about themselves. And I think there's something incredibly noble in that. Final thoughts? single white Medusa? Um, I think just <clears throat> one thing that I've seen with you that has helped you is to be consistent in sitting down and writing every day. Um, whether that's, um, you know, 30 minutes every morning or evening, if you have a full-time job, or if you don't have a full-time job for some reason, you know, maybe a few hours every day. Yeah. Um, that has helped you so much because when I first met you, you were working on a book, but you had been working on it for quite a while. And by the time you finished it, start to finish was about seven years. Yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> fast forward to now, you write a book every, you, in about a month, two at the most. Yeah. But probably, a, yeah, I would say a month or two, right? Boom, shaka, laka, laka. I'm on fire. So that's, yeah. And that's the pod. <laughs>